Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the host of Blamo. Thanks so much for listening. This is a preview of one of our exclusive shows on Patreon. These are member-supported shows, meaning they only happen because of our incredible members and community. So check out a preview of the episode, and if you like it, consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive Blamo episodes, shows, our amazing Slack group, and we're adding new things for members all the time. If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo all free for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Die Workwear podcast. I'm Derek Guy, and my co-host is Peter Zotolo. Recently, Fred Nidu stopped by San Francisco, and we grabbed him for an hour. Fred is a bespoke tailor based in London who does a lot of work for films and TV shows, including making all of the menswear for The Crown. Since he's made clothes for men, women, and trans people, we talked to him about the technical aspects of how to tailor clothes for different bodies, as well as how to find a good tailor. We also got him to answer some of your questions. Let's dive in. Welcome, Fred. How have you been? Very well. You just moved to a new workshop, is that right? We did. Not not too far, probably 15-minute walk down the road. Where are you based now? Bittlefields Market. Nice. Yeah, so close to Liverpool Street. Is the space bigger? Same size? It's way bigger. Yeah, nice. it's um, a four-story house. Is that like why you chose it? Because it was bigger? We, yeah, I mean, we needed more space. Um, I think the plan with me and Lee was always, because we worked at Everest, that was an old Georgian house, and that was always a really nice vibe. Um, we can't, we're not quite at the stage to be able to move into a Georgian house. It's four stories. We have me and sometimes Sophie that helps me on the ground floor. In the basement, we have a shoemaker, um, oh, wow. Sebastian Tarek. Really? Uh, oh, I've heard of him. He's super nice. He's great. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. He does, because um, everybody, not everybody, but like most other people that do bespoke shoemaking make very traditional West End kind of conservative shoes. Right. Um, and that's even true like around the world. Like if you go to a bespoke shoemaker, you're going to get some version of like a dress shoe, essentially. Whereas Sebastian, he'll make you a dress shoe, I assume, if you want. I mean, he he works as an outworker as well. So right. he, he's more than capable. Yeah, he works as an outworker for some of the, the big names <clears throat> on the West End. Um, so yeah, he could definitely do it. But um, he, he can also do a style that's like, um, it's like the sort of thing that you'd wear with like avant-garde, Rick Owens. Oh, wow. um, really? You know, kind of like dark, you know, artisanal clothing kind goth of stuff. Ninja. Yeah, goth ninja what, kind of stuff. What a description. <laughs> and, it, and it looks real. I think it looks really good. I wanted to get a pair of black side zips from him, um, but he was unable to travel in the U.S. and ah. um, for trunk shows and yeah, we couldn't make it I work. I think he's thinking about doing it. Yeah. Oh, really? That so, would be great. Yeah, what he makes there, cool stuff. What other uh, people are in your building? So then we have Sophie that works with me occasionally when we're like super, super busy. She helps cut. She is also a really amazing trouser maker. Mm. She makes some nice ladies' garments. She makes raglans. She's on the top floor as well. So the makers are on the top floor. Lee, he's on the first floor. So that's the kind of customer space. And then on the top floor as well, you have Josh, who's super young, a coat maker, can, can make trousers, can, he can make anything. Um, and Ella, who's also young, who can, again, can make pretty much anything. What do you find your coat makers and trouser makers and tailors? So, I don't know, you, you kind of come across them and if, if you, I don't know, if you kind of get on or bond, then it'd be amazing for you to come work with us. Um, Josh, I teach, uh, I think we've mentioned previously to you, I teach at college, at London College of Fashion. So you get to meet lots of promising young students and, wow. and Josh was, yeah, pretty incredible. You can handpick the best students. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. Do you of, yeah. teach pattern making or what do you teach? I teach pattern pattern cutting eight days a year. Eight days a year? Eight days a year. That's a lot. <laughs> 
It's a heavy teaching float. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! Wait, so it's, so it's a really painful. It's called, it's called a masterclass, which makes you feel like an idiot. But but if someone's t- learning pattern pattern cutting, are they learning it? They have their tutors, okay, which is fine. And the, and but the way you work in industry is very different. So I think generally at like London College of Fashion, they they tend to teach them in centimeters. They tend to, they have to teach them a certain way which is just the curriculum they follow. And then when you come in from industry, I can show them how we work or, you know, my method. And then they video it and then I can help them do a project. My understanding is that a bespoke tailor drafts patterns differently than a ready-to-wear yeah. garment maker. So these people are learning... They'll, they'll the, learn, they'll, hopefully, they'll learn everything. Oh, I see. The curriculum includes bespoke and ready-to-wear. Incl- yeah, but generally the bespoke is taught through books that are centimeters, mm. which is not what you do in bespoke tailoring. It's inches, unless you're in Italy, and then it's sent. Right. Yeah, I noticed that, which is convenient for Americans, when I go to London, everything is in inches and miles per hour. Makes more sense. It makes much more sense. (laughs) So is is that something that is relatively common in most industry in London? Inches. Mm. No. No, no, it's it's all moved on. We're just archaic. As are we. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your experience... um, tailoring for because you you do a lot of film work for um, you do film tv productions you know actors actresses so i want to ask for your views on what it's like um, what's the difference between tailoring for male and female bodies obviously the i assume the the majority of your bespoke clients are men i assume mostly yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. but you have done more and more over time it seems to be yeah but you've done some work for women right yeah yeah. What's the difference in terms of pattern drafting for women versus men? Um, generally, in terms of drafting, the, the system you start with is the same. You probably, if you were to follow the kind of stereotype, you know, the lady's shape of like what's considered a lady's jacket, which it doesn't have to be, but you know, that kind of old sexton, um, like an old YSL kind of like, like small waist nipped in. Mm-hmm. Um, like what Bianca Jagger? Wore. Yeah, what what you would think of like yeah, or certainly if you're into tailoring, what you what you would think of a lady's tuxedo. You're just way more aggressive with your lines. You take more out in the dart. Just everything's amplified. Are there the same number of darts, or are there more darts? So the way I would do it would be a similar amount of darts as a man's. Um, if a lady's super busty, then maybe you could use a princess cut. Um, Can you describe that? Which is is almost so your front dart here would kind of follow up and round. Oh, okay. That would allow you to just manipulate the body slightly more. Got it. What does it do when you curve the dart like that? So if a lady was, it would just help go over the bus and it would sit without having like a gross kind of like that. With women's tailoring, many women, when they button the jacket, the lapel essentially buckle. Yeah. And so is the princess cut essentially, or is it princess cut? Well, yeah. And that I would think essentially call it all sorts of different things, but take away that, that lapel buckling. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Again, people call it also like a dog's leg cut. It's like hidden inside, it's down and across. There's all sorts of different cuts. Is that essentially, if someone is very busty, is it very difficult for them to find something ready to wear? Because, I mean, you know, um, like when I think of alterations, I think of very simple kind of like nip the waist, take up the sleeve. I don't think of the alterations Taylor putting in like a whole new dart. No, I, yeah, I mean, that would be a nightmare. I don't think they would. So this would be only through bespoke? I would say so, yeah, unless it's in the in the kind of made-to-measure program that someone can account for how busty a, a person is. So if someone is um, a woman and they're going to a made-to-measure program, they would have to find somebody that has developed a block pattern for women. Exactly. You, yeah. you couldn't just like, because that's like a totally different kind of yeah, challenge. Uh, yeah, 
Definitely. And I, I think in terms of ready to wear, you're, you're safer. I think the, I think a lot of the time people try and buy something that fits on the waist. Um, you know, like they want it to fit nicely on the waist right. when they're buying it. Obviously that might be too small for them. So that's what's going to cause the buckling here. Mm. Um, so your safer option would be to buy something bigger and then take it to a tailor and then nip the waist. So if you're a woman, if you're a busty woman, you should buy a coat. Try and find something that fits best on your bust and then we could address the other issues afterwards. So like if you wanted to take the shoulders in, that's easier. If you wanted to take the waist in, that's super easy. Um, fiddling with a finished coat and the bust is, is more of a nightmare. Okay. I see. Unless it's minimal. Like if there's a minimal bow, for instance, you could even something as simple as like a draw stitch can, can sometimes help solve that. Taking in the shoulders on a ready wear coat, that's not like an expensive, difficult job. It can be expensive. It's, it's probably not the most fun job, but it's not like a massively taxing job. It's, you know, take the sleeve out, undo the sleeve as much as you need. Okay. Yeah, w- within reason. Okay. As much as um, the armhole changes on ready to wear garments, often the sleeve is the same as the armhole. Whereas like a bespoke coat, your ah, sleeve right. will have fullness and right. there's a lot more you can do with it. Um, so if you change the armhole too much, one way or another way, you might find the sleeve no longer fits. Here's, here's a question for you. How does somebody find, I mean, we've, we've talked about how if, if you're shopping for ready to wear as a woman, what things to look for. But now you have this garment in your hand and you need to find a tailor who can execute, you know, sometimes a complicated alteration, like we were talking about taking on the shoulder, taking off the waistband. Um, for more complicated jobs, something that's beyond just like hemming, yeah. How do you know where to go in terms of who's a good tailor? Like, who's a good alterations tailor? What would you look for? I, I mean, it's really tough because I think unless you're a tailor to see another tailor's work. Right. What would you look for? You could ask to see some stuff they've done and you can try just kind of have a look at how clean it is, um, how meticulous they are. They can how take they... your class. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, you can take you your can class. Master, <laughs> yeah. master and then, class. Your master class. Yeah. They go through them. the <laughs> London College of Fashion program. Yeah, that's then, a cheap and option. And then finally option, come yeah. out and look for an alterations tailor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, ask. locally, you, you probably would know, right? I mean, if yeah. you would have... Well, a, you know, um, because you've spent all your time on forums and you argue with people. But and, you know, like more normal people that are not as forum heavy. I don't, you know, I... They're like Facebook, I don't know, like we have like a local Facebook group of your area and you can sure. be like, who's whatever. Who's tailor in the area? Some, whatever recommends. Right. And you'd be like, you know, who's going to fix my plumbing? Who's going to fix my gutters? Right. Who's a good tailor in the area? I never know. Like when you, when you do those things, you get back like 10 answers. Right. And you don't know who's feeling. But it's like a restaurant recommendation, right? Like you're given something, right. and then you go there, yes. and you're like, actually, no, this, this place is gross. Is terrible. Right. Like right, I right, can't right, eat here. Right. I always, I always tell but it people, it gets you to a few spots. Give, give them something that's a reasonably simple job, like hemming, and then when you get it back, you can yeah. kind of examine the work. Like I wouldn't, I would never go. Want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo to sign up and join the Blam fam. You also get access to our exclusive members only Slack group where we chat about this and a ton of other things. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo and we'll see you there.